The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We certainly want to welcome our online listeners this morning. Our series on Identity Matters is titled this morning as Obedience in the Psychological Area of Life. Keep in mind that this is number 32 in the series. So those of you who are joining us this morning for the very first time, but after you're done listening to this message, I would encourage you to go back to the website, scroll over to the online school, and when Quick Course Finder drops down on that menu, click on that, and you'll see that the Identity Matter series is listed out as 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way now to today at number 32. We have 62 classes online now. So we encourage you to go to the elective section, which is at the bottom of that page. Scroll around. There's everything there from the Hebrew marriage to parenting to manhood issues. Uh, many of our workbooks that we have written through the years, we have audios that go with them. They're in the elective series. So scroll around and have a good time in that library. But today, the number is 32, and it is Obedience for the Psychological area of life. I'm asked from time to time what I think is the baseline problem with Christians and non-Christians alike in respects to this postmodern times that we live in. What do you guys say is the primary problem? No absolutes. Can I ask you a very simple question? Remember I have kind of kind of trained you a little bit about English comes from what language? Latin. They put the definition in the word. And by the time it shows up in the English, many definitions are actually put inside of the word. Absolute is one of them. What word is in that word that gives you the word to define the word? Absolve, but it's actually the word within absolve. Salute. It's an authority word. Absolute is an authority word. It is a word that documents the position. Critical word in understanding the importance of what is happening in America, what's happening in the world in regard to this postmodern view we have versus the authentic. Authentic, the word within authentic is... Author and perfecter of our faith. Authentic is who wrote it initially. Whoever writes it becomes the authority of it. For God is the word. And he became human so we could behold his word. So literally we could share in his glory. Not as Godheads, but as children of God. Now, the postmodern world puts bumper stickers out that say what? Question authority. Who's your daddy? Question all things. Question all of the leaders. See, the reason why that we do not trust 
leaders today is because they fail. As soon as we see that the leader fails, we no longer trust what they have to say. That's stupid theology. You have to listen to your leader even if they're wrong. The reason why our divorce rate is so incredibly high, in fact, in the Christian church, the divorce rate is actually higher than it is in the world today. We have, are actually, as Christians, demonstrating a worse lifestyle than unbelievers. And if that doesn't mess with your mind, then your mind is asleep. When the church is giving statistics that's worse than unbelievers, we should be able to say we're sick. There's something wrong with us. So therefore, I look here and I go, seriously, who is in worse shape? The unbelievers who are flipping their fists before God saying, I hate you. I don't believe in you. Well, they actually do or they wouldn't even raise their fist. Or Christians who say they honor authority, but they don't. I'm telling you, folks, for most people, statistics are boring. But for counselors, many pastors, certainly researchers, we like to look at them because, normally speaking, numbers don't lie. But the facts are, you are sicker than the world. And we got to talk about that. And I know God's going to use it because as he shrinks these fake Christians and he kind of cuts them off of the branch, they're, they're, they're really dead. They're not going to get any fruit. The only way to get fruit, they're going to have to go to Walmart and buy some plastic fruit and then go down to the glue aisle and they're going to have to get some super glue and then they're going to have to come back to their Christianity, squeeze on a little bit of super glue onto those good-looking fake grapes, and super glue them to the branch of Jesus Christ. It's the only way to do it. And there's a lot of Christians walking the face of the earth that are nothing more than postmodern believers. They have no clue what it means to follow authority and to do what you're told, and to go make your bed when mommy tells you to, versus the constant debating and deceptive of wicked ways that are built into that child's life so that they we become an adult, they question every single authority that's walking the face of the earth. The best way to send someone to hell is to get them to question their authorities. Now, I know you've heard me tell you this story before, but it's one of my favorites, and it's a true story. Billy Graham told it from one of his crusades, and I heard it, stuck with me, and have been repeating it gazillions of times since. But he heard it from the actual missionary. And this missionary was called to cast out a demon out of this young lady. She was 14 years of age. And the village was like a few days journey from where this missionary was actually working. They sent a messenger from this village to the missionary and said that there's a Dominic that needs your you know, prayers and blah, blah, blah. Come now, come quickly. And the 
missionary said, I will not go until God sends me. Days went by and the, the servant shows up again and puts a little bit of pressure on this, uh, guilt pressure on this missionary. And the missionary rebukes the messenger. I don't know if you know the stories of Jesus very well, but this is almost line by line of what happened to Jesus. It happened to this missionary. This girl thrashing around with being possessed by multiple demons. Well, God finally told this missionary to go without a messenger. So he goes to the village, goes to where all this activity is supposed to be happening. He comes in the, the door of the hut and he sees this. As soon as he gets into the hut, this 14-year-old girl starts manifesting and foaming at the mouth and just full-on evidence of being possessed by a demon. Missionary walks up and he just looks at the Dominic and he, and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are free. And turns around and walks out of the hut. Gets to the door. She's still thrashing around, foaming in at the mouth, as if the prayers of the missionary had no effect. And the mother is crying and weeping, trying to get this missionary to stay there and pray. And one of the people that was in the hut rebuked the missionary. And the missionary turns around, points his finger at the person that was rebuking him and said, nobody tells God what to do. And he leaves. When his, as the story is told, when his body passed through the doorway of that hut, the 14-year-old girl got delivered. Now, what are the details that you hear in that story? Waiting to hear his father's voice. He saluted his commander. I should say that the, the world environment around him had no effect on his leadership. He did what God told him to do, and that was to say what God told him to say. He rebuked according to putting everyone in their place that has nothing to do with me as a missionary, has everything to do with what God decided to do. And what he does with this is his call and leaves. Not follow that leader anywhere. See, I know those leaders are rude. I know those leaders are hard to work with. I know those leaders are, are uh, stubborn. But those are the kind of leaders I would follow. In fact, those are the kind of leaders I do follow. Annoying is their behavior, but powerful is their results. So you see, God is a God of the absolutes. And if God says it and you do it, who cares how it turns out? When someone says to me, God told me, I'm disengaged. There's no debate. There's no wrangling. There's no working out the details. It is go. Because I will not defy the voice of God. So if you want to have a discussion with me on something, don't say God said. I'll disengage. You could say, I think God's telling me. Well, now that opens the door of discussion. But as soon as you get say, God said for me to, I'm done with you. I will not tamper with God's 
calling. Because I must keep the voice statement engaged and moving. You see what I mean? Very few leaders nowadays do that. If you have a church filled with independent people hearing God all the time and has nothing to do with the focus of that church, that church will never make it. It's just like in a marriage. Why would God give two ministries? So you can do this. I cannot tell you how many couples I've counseled that are in ministry. She has a ministry and he has one. And it just goes like this. 15, 20 years down the road, they have a successful ministry. She's got a successful ministry. And they're divorcing. Yay! God's work got done. Thousands of people have been touched. And I'm telling you, one of the people that's in this mine I had contact with has got a massive ministry around the world as a woman. But her husband, well, there's some problems. What do you do with that? Because of you look at the numbers, the evidence of people in the hut, shame on us. But that's what we do. We just redesign the doctrines of God around what we see. Not by faith of bringing what is in the unseen world into the seen world. So now let's look at it. The authority structure laid out by God from the beginning of human time is what makes or break the Lord's machine from actually functioning according to the God of Hebrew. The reason why I don't say the God of Greek, in fact, you'll get me going on a sermon I shouldn't be preaching about, the God of the Greek doesn't exist. It's the gods of the Greek that exist. The whole concept of plurality of gods came from the Greeks. There is a reason why Jesus would not speak the language. Did he have the ability to? That would be a duh. Why did he cling to an earlier form of Hebrew? It's because of the Hebrew structure that clearly reveals the importance of honoring and establishing the patriarch of your tribe. Jesus was about to reveal, I am the leader of your tribe. And that freaked out the Pharisees like you wouldn't believe because they were saying, we are the leaders of the Hebrew tribe. Competition. It wasn't Jesus that was promoting competition. It was the Pharisees. Only Pharisees use and promote competition to win in ministry. Don't forget that. Authority structures are part of God's holy design, cannot be avoided. Even in a postmodern world, you simply cannot avoid authority. And the thing that baffles me more than anything else in Christianity is how that this 90% of the entire church world has been released to be independent, to rule leaders from the bottom up, which is what democracy is. Democracy is okay in a governed society, I think, Lord, but it's not necessarily a good plan for a church. Well, if you don't like the pastor, let's organize a committee to get rid of the pastor. See how it works? It's impeaching. 
That comes from the Greeks, which the Romans adopted, which is what America adopted. Not monarchy, but demonocracy. Democracy. Bottom up. It can be used effectively, and I'm not insulting our own country, hopefully not. I'm just saying that God is a God that rules in the Hebrew culture from God to Jesus Christ to the Holy Spirit to the church leaders to the husband to the wife to the children to the dog. That is not the norm of the church today. Everyone is under authority, even Satan himself. Remember when he had to go and get permission to, to attack Job? Remember when he had to go get permission to attack Saul? You think he's an independent? I'm telling you, there are church members that act more independent than Satan. Satan himself understands authority so well, he uses authority to get permission to attack you. And there are indwelt believers walking the face of the earth that don't even get that. I need to go to my leader to release to go carry out a mission. I don't get it. Why do I need to do that? So we have freedom and independence. Really? I thought you were a bond slave. Volunteer slave to Christ. Oh, I refuse to be a slave. There's one country in this world... I'll let the listeners figure out who it is. There's one country in this world that has spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to fight slavery. And the thing that puzzles me is that in the final hours, it's going to boil down to two gods. Who are they again, please? The God of Abraham and Satan. Is Satan going to be behind democracy? No, he will force every human that's walking the face of the earth to either bow to him or to be murdered or tortured. And Christians are going to be faced with a decision someday. I don't know if you've connected the dots here. That is a little strange to me that his method of getting people to that point is you have the right to make your own decisions. You have your right to be God of your own life. You have the right to be independent. You have the right to impeach leaders. And in the end, either you listen to him 100% and obey him 100%, or you're in trouble. It's a simple, simple, simple technique, folks. I've studied world history enough to tell you the most successful countries in the world are the leaders who let the people think they were in charge until he had an absolute plan to have absolute control over his people. Then he came out of the closet. And if you didn't submit, rumor got around what the king would do to you. It's an old technique, and it works. And it even works in this country. The real plans are starting to creep and sneak and seep out of the closet. Are we really a free country? Why are Christians being sued every day more than any other religion? Why is Christianity now listed on the top of the military list as the most threatening terrorist group in America. Exchange lifers are number four. 
Good question. That's freedom? There is no freedom there. You and I know it because we're constantly in education about the reality of the gospel. But there's churches out there that are not being taught these things. Where the preachers are lying to their people every day. With a false gospel, everything will be fine. It's not going to turn out fine. And we know that. But somehow we, we stress out on stress so we avoid everything possible of the reality of the truth. Because it's scary to know that my brothers and sisters are over there in Africa being murdered, slaughtered, having parts of their body cut off. And we sit here in America and act like everything's fine. Our day is coming when we will see everything's not fine. I want the truth of the gospel. I want the real meat of the gospel for you, for me, for our listeners. Why must we be lied by having our ears tickled with fancy little sermons? Isn't that what Jesus said? There will come a day when they want their ears tickled? Spit on me, please. Curse me. Slap me. Hurt me. Do something to tell me that these truths of the reality of the life of Christ on this earth inside the indwelt believers bothers you. You see, long gone should be our generation of where you walk out and say to the pastor, wow, that was a good pastor, a sermon pastor, good pastor to the sermon. <laughs> it should be, ouch, that hurt. <laughs> Is there some practical things that I can have to start to embrace these poignant truths? Oh yeah, I've got some stuff to grow you. I just find it interesting that people in a village in Tanzania are begging for the exchanged life, who they are in Christ. Show us how to live this because these rebels keep coming into our village, stealing our daughters and selling them in global market and taking our mommies and selling them and taking our daddies and turning them into rebels. You see, they don't want the exchange life because it's a new, it's a wonderful concept they've never heard about. They want to be taught how to deal with life. And the best way that I know of is to let Christ deal with it through you. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves to the Lord. We're reading out of Job 1. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking about on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Try to put yourself in this scene. It wasn't Satan who had the idea of ripping into Job. It was God's. He was standing in line. Sons of God are angels, demons, or righteous ones. It's what they have been referred to from the very beginning. Standing in line, just like waiting. See, God's a God of order. He's not going to go, oh, the big man's right 
back there. The rest of you go to the back of the line. I want to deal with the big, big chief. He had to stand in line like all the rest of them, waiting to seek permission on whom he could devour. So he gets up to the table of the throne of God, and he has this dialogue with Satan. Well, where do you come from? I could have told you that. First time I read the passage at 16 years of age, I could have told you that. There's an accountability going on here. From where, what territory do you claim is what is being asked here? Roaming about the earth, which see, as you already know, he believed was his. Still does. So, there's this dialogue that's starting of questions being asked to God already knows the answers to. And that's where I do get the ideas. Any good discipler should I only ask questions you have answers to already. To see if the person is going to engage, if they're going to be honest. Satan knew in order to get this job done, he had to be honest. He had to answer the questions honestly or he was not going to get his deal. To know that he is the author and perfecter of sin. And he had to get permission. And God actually threw the idea out there before the person standing in front of you had the idea of what they wanted to reveal. I try to do the same thing. Here's what I think you need to do. To see if they rebel or to see if they grab a hold. And of course Satan wanted this desperately. He grabbed a hold of it. Well, I can't. Why? Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has and every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have, there's so many doctrines in what's coming out of Satan's mouth. Satan gets it. This is the being that deceives you every day and he gets it. And you don't. For sure on certain days. We don't. He gets it. You bless him. You have a hedge of angels around him. You, you, you. He gets it. How in the world can the body of Christ be more deceived than Satan? I'm going to tell you why in a few moments. It's incredible. It is a deception that's gone beyond the face of the enemy. When you mix Christianity with Satanism, there is something there that is not even in Satanism alone. Okay? But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. God has to put forth his hand and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is, your, is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Do you remember some of the things he lost after he, Satan walked away from the table? His kids, his cows, his ox, his farm. Not on this one. He lost it all. But his wife. The reason why that his wife was not touched, I believe, is because it matches what is said in Revelation is that a woman is to be protected by her husband 
at all cost. God does not put the responsibility of sin on the woman. He puts it on the head of the home. And if you don't believe me, you will discover that someday. As in if anyone puts an insult upon the Holy Spirit, do you remember what the New Testament says about that? What's going to happen? They call it the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Just go ahead and say blasphemy of the wife. You don't attack the wife without dealing with the husband. The end times are about one thing and one thing only. The husband of the bride of Christ is coming back to punish everyone who insulted the bride of Christ. That's what it's about. You can make it into volumes of theological discussions on the end times, and it is nothing more than Christ coming back as the groom to literally punish anyone who insulted the true church. And I will go to my grave with that truth. Everything in the Word of God from Genesis to the last verse in Revelation supports it. You don't mess with the woman. And God didn't here either. She's to be preserved because it's one flesh. Couldn't touch Job, can't touch the wife. Can't touch Christ, can't touch the bride of Christ. You do, you're going to be in trouble. Powerful doctrines in this little passage. But you've got to read your Bible. You've got to understand a little bit about the history of things. And as you know, he comes back for lap two, and in lap two, he's given permission to mess with his body, but can't touch his life. Can't take it from him. That's when he gets these boils. It's an infection in the nerves. It's horribly painful. And most theologians believe he had it up to two years, minimum of two years, sitting in ashes, day in and day out. Well, the story turns out well, as we know. One of the most common misunderstandings of Satan is that he has the power and authority to attack mankind without permission from his authority, which is God, the God of Abraham. Remembering when Adam was hiding in the garden and the Lord called out to him, asking him, where is he? God saw the, where he was hiding, didn't he? Of course he did. Why is God saying, Adam, where are you? I'll tell you what, I've learned over 40 plus years of ministry, don't work with people who give you half answers. They're called lies. You take 1% off of a focused response of honesty, you have a lie on your hands. It may be 99% mixed in truth. But if it's not a 100% response in answering the authority, it's a lie. You can't guide someone who won't answer you. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything above and beyond this is of evil. You take off a percentage of a yes or a no, I can deal with a child that says, no, I won't listen to you. So what do you do with an absolute child, absolute child of the no? You discipline them. You break them. What do you do with a child who's an absolute of the yes? You grow them. You give them more responsibility. But anyone who trims off a few percentages because they just don't quite want to say, I'm committed. 
They're emergent, at least moving in that direction, and they are still of the lie. That's as simple as Jesus made it. And here we have an enemy who won't even trim off a percentage of lying to God. He tried that once, remember? He knows what the consequences were. He actually was showing signs of being corrected here. At least figured the game out. Unbelievable what's being revealed to us here. A few years ago, I was privileged to meet with one of the world's leaders, prime ministers, in order to present my doctorate project, the Faith-Based Initiative. When I was put before him, he asked me, what is your request for our government? Knowing he had my proposal in his hand, I saw it. He was holding it on his lap. I answered the question. The reason I was not baffled by such a question, I was prepared beforehand as to the proper protocol of such a meeting. When they were driving me from Entebbe Airport to the Capitol, this gentleman was telling me protocol of the Prime Minister. And protocol was he's going to ask questions that you're going to want to look at him and basically say, duh, you know exactly why I'm here. But see, I didn't because I was a little bit trained and updated on how protocol works with governments, a lot of the governments anyway. They're going to ask you questions they already have answers to, because they want to hear it out of your mouth, not on a piece of paper. See, when you ask a question you already have the answer to, it's easy to find the lie. Duh. So you, you'll know within split seconds on whether you can trust them with your government. As curious to me as to how Satan himself understands the authority structure and protocol of heaven, but 90% of the body of Christ does not. That I'm telling you, that baffles me. And, th and this 90% say that I have the indwelling life of Christ inside me. And you don't get this? You don't get hearing the voice of God and then just obeying blindly by faith? How is it that even the Father has submitted himself to function in the context of the Trinity itself so that no member of the Godhead acts independently of the other, but yet the body of Christ finds it impossible to be ruled under such structure in the church? God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are 100% in submission to God the Father. Jesus said, For what you see me doing, it is not I who does it, but my Father who is in me. The first statement of the exchange life. Then he says, For whatever you hear me say, it is not I who says it, but it is my Father who says it in me. Do you see that God came in human flesh? Please tell me you get that. The basics of Christianity. God came in human flesh. God was in Christ Jesus from birth. So for Christ to put himself in us, through the power representation of the Holy Spirit, is a duh. 
It's to make the connection of authority, as Jesus did. It's not me. I know you guys are smiling, giving me compliments. It's not me. Has nothing to do with me. This is this is our Savior, the one we lift our hands and worship to. And as He's taking our worship, He's going. It's not me. It's my Abba. He just gives it right back to the Abba. Not us. Man, we sign on to it. We put our names on the books. We copyright ourselves. We take we take the the credit for profound truths and principles and whatever, and then we make people buy it. It's a hard balance in the Christian world today. Telling the Christian what to do in these postmodern times is like telling a spoiled child what to do, resulting in the child pitching a fit and demanding that the parent follow the child's impulses. As in traditional Latin, Parenting is a rental agreement. Foster care. So as you're training up these children, first thing to remember, they're not yours. You've been set up as a guardian to raise them up unto the Lord, to release them into ministry for the work of the Lord, to advance the kingdom of God. No, we act... We set up everything around us as if we have ownership. Here's the deal. The structure is as simple as I was sharing a few minutes ago. We have God at the top of this chart. Those of you who are listening online, you will need to open up the PowerPoint PDF in order to see this. But the chart is showing us God is at the top for he is the great I am of the I am's. Jesus is the son. He functions as a son. He doesn't do anything that his father doesn't tell him to do. You think there's a 50-50 relationship going on here? Then you have been trained with false doctrines. God is the God of the universe. God is the Father. God is God. Jesus became God because he's a son. Son always becomes what the Father is, flesh-wise and spirit-wise. And that's why flesh stuff has to be worked out of that child's life. Or they're going to turn out just like their fathers end up turning out. That's the discipleship process. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each of them have a different function. In John it says that the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the words of Jesus. Well, Jesus says, when you hear me speak, it's not me, but my father. See how it works? No, we don't see how it works. We have to be in charge of all of our comments. We got to be the ones coming up with the ideas. Uh, Probably not. Church leaders, the Holy Spirit gives what God says to Jesus, Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives inside of us, last I heard. Church leaders are given a special commission of hearing the voice of God, believe it or not. Church leaders are to be given it to government leaders. But that's how it worked for many, 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 many generations. Who picked the very first king that walked the face of the earth, which was Saul? And then after Saul was taken care of, fell on his own sword, the high priest came to who? Who was still tending sheep? David. 
poured oil on his head. Says, you're our next king. Wait a minute here, I'm just shepherd boy. It was always the leaders of the church that picked the governors. Always. Not anymore. Now we have to have approval from the government to get a 501c3 so we can have a church. There you go. Then the government gets to manage what's said inside the church. Listen, oh government leaders. I know I have a few on I have quite a few on my list. Listen. We don't submit to you. You are supposed to submit to us. But I also understand that that's our governing system, so I shall honor you and the system that is in place. The, the government leaders are supposed to put policies in place so husbands and fathers don't run from each other. Husbands and, and wives do not run from each other. Well, I guess it's husbands and fathers now. You see, policy keeps relationships intact. So those of us who have been battling this same-sex marriage thing, the same-sex marriage thing had to happen in order to dissolve the institution of family. So now we have children with two fathers and two mothers and five fathers and three mothers. Where does a child look to their authority? To someone who thinks they're a man when they're a woman? To someone who does not show the clear authority of God? And God said homosexuals don't go to heaven. I think he was serious. When God says, for I, the Lord thy God, hate divorce, I think he's serious. But what we do is we get in and research these verses and, and convert them into supporting our demonic doctrines. And it gets into society sooner or later, not because of what the unsaved people did, it's because of what the church did. I heard by the hearing of my own ears an interview with Hillary Clinton. And they were asking her, she was running for president, and they were asking her where she got her policies and how the faith base had any or if any effect in her policies. And she said instantly, no hesitation, all my policies come from the church. I was there when they adopted female pastors. I was there when they adopted homosexual pastors. I was there when they decided on social liberty. I was there. She just confessed the core of what you're looking at on that screen. I don't blame our politicians and those politicians that are listening. Those of you who I know and you know me personally, you know I don't blame you. It is the church I hold in account, if I could, to these broken down doctrines. Not politics. See, we're dumb sheep being led to a slaughter. Well, who's leading us? And most probably would say it's our politicians. And you don't understand how it works. Global religion must be met before Satan can have political control. See, the children are being attacked through creation, are now being attacked because of the gap. 
There's no more preservation for the system anymore. It's open attack. Satan does not care about you as a mother or father. You're, you're old history. It's like the wilderness folks. The parents and grandparents, did they get to go into Canaan? No. Not one of them. Who got to go into Canaan? The promised land. The children and grandchildren. Why? Because they're a fresh generation. And the parents and the grandparents were still practicing the things of Egypt. Golden cows and God only knows what. Focus is the innocent generation. Satan knows that. And he knows he can't get at them until the parents go liberal. No more structure. Yeah, kids, you're on your own. Figure it out. Okay. And you know what? They do. They do figure it out. It's not always a good plan, but they do figure it out. Some get a little frustrated and go into schools and kill people because they're just so confused. But most kids figure it out. And how do they figure it out? By watching who they admire. Superheroes? Video games? They'll figure it out. It says in Jeremiah 4.22, Only a stupid child of God denies the authority that God has over mankind. King over subject, parent over child, employer over employee, husband over wife, pastor over people, law over life. So when Jeremiah is talking about these stupid shepherds, he's not attacking the people. He's not even rebuking the followers. He's saying, what is wrong with you shepherds? Have you lost the simplicity of authority? Yes. For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children and have no understanding. I'm afraid children, the word stupid actually is in the Bible. It's knowing the truth, but having a refusal to appropriate its victory. So it makes us stupid. Stupid is as stupid does, as the movie says. They are shrewd to do evil. It means they think through it carefully. They plan their evil. That's the first manifestation of stupidity. But to do good, they do not know. So how do you set someone up to do good who just does not know? You usually have to put them under a guiding authority. Well... Since that's not so popular nowadays, it's hard to guide someone who's like a bowl of jello. Can't nail it to the tree, can't crucify it. You can't you can't motivate it, can't put a pathway through it. As soon as you move away, it folds in on itself, so the leader's constantly struggling with emergent behavior. Let your yes be yes. You know, be no, anything above and beyond that is of evil. You can't work with it. Satan's goal is to cause all of us to respond with no response. Do you understand that? To where an authority figure is talking to you and you're kind of like, what do you do with that? Nothing. They go to hell. I will spit you out of my mouth. 
You're nor hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. For I shall spit you out. What can you do with it? Doesn't quench your thirst. Doesn't heat your belly. But you know what? As DK and I were having a discussion this morning of our greatest frustration of being in ministry is simple fact that every time you talk, it's falling on deaf ears. It's a, it's a horrific challenge. You're just like looking at the look of their face like, oh, I know what he's saying, but I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> it's like they're slipping into darkness and you can't get a hold of them. It's evil. But I know that 90% of the people that hear me just say that online, offline, doesn't make any difference, are going to say, what's your point, brother? The simple facts are that a leader cannot lead a group of people unless the people are willing to honor all governing authorities, all governing authorities, particularly their pastoral leaders. If the pastor or the discipler is reasonable and kind, body members find it easy, a very easy task to obey such a leader. But postmodern Christians usually dig in when their leader sounds harsh or unreasonable. Was this an issue that just started in the postmodern times? That's 1964 forward. Or has it been around for a while? It's been around from the beginning. Someone please look up for me 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 and read it nice and loud. 1 Peter 2, 18. <clears throat> Servants, be submissive to your masters, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are harsh and unreasonable. For this, I'll finish with the next verse. For this finds favor in the eyes of God if a man suffers unjustly. Not justly. Unjustly. Which means in the only way to get favor of God is to suffer un under unreasonable authority our present administration. We spend more time complaining about it than we do receiving the unjust authority. Just yesterday I was sitting in my easy chair and I was thinking about the topic today and I was posed in my own mind with what would happen if the President of the United States came to Sterling. Would I avoid him? Would I spit on his shoes? Would I honor him? Would I receive him into my home? Would I have a, din a, a, a meal with him? These are the questions that were going in my mind. And guess what? how I answered? To honor him, respect the position that he represents, and so forth and so on. See, we all war with this. But truth being said, I'm not getting God's favor unless I do it this way. No, we divorce our husbands. Because they're dishonorable. No, we divorce our pastors. We divorce our presidents. We divorce our kings. We divorce our tribal leaders. We divorce these leaders that are doing whatever that doesn't support our doctrines. Oh, I mean, seriously. Should we cry together? Play violins on this one because we're not going to change the ordinances of God. He won't do it for us. 
the emergent church is not supported by God. In other words, don't fluff my feathers, tickle my ears, or I'm not coming back to this fellowship. Because when you have to admit you really do want to find a fellowship that tickles ears, you just admitted you're emergent and to be spit out of Christ's mouth. So I knew it wouldn't happen, and it won't happen. It's the most worst decision for a believer to make. Do I want to attend a fellowship that actually tells me the truth, and it's a little bit harsh and unreasonable, or do I want to attend a fellowship that makes me feel good when I go to lunch? 90% say, I want to feel good when I have lunch. 10% say, thank you, Pastor, for this banking this morning. That's as simple as I can make it. Free seed grace is actually delivered for the purpose of moral excellence. And God, when suffering under a harsh authority figure, do you recall when Jesus was standing before an unreasonable governor and the leader said, don't you realize what I have the power to do to you today? And Jesus said, you only have the power to do what my Father has given you to do. So even when you're under an unreasonable authority, remember everything we've covered up to this point. Satan can't do a blasted thing through his leaders to you without God saying, go and do it. This is the same scenario of Satan standing before God with the issue of Job, which we have already talked about. Simple thing is, a practice rarely demonstrated in the postmodern church, and that is understanding things that even the enemy understands in its most clearest fashion. Authority. The absoluteness of authority. So who are the authorities in your life? Good question. List them one by one. Number two, to which of these authorities do you have difficulty submitting? I would actually, since you've already listed them out, take a pen and circle the ones where you go, I have a difficult time submitting to this particular authority. You see, it's like you're standing there at the judgment table. Why not practice it today? Like you're actually standing before the authority of God. Because if you go back and read Romans 13, it not only says all authority is established by God, what does it go on to say? When you're before one of these authorities, you're before me. What you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you're doing to me. He's remembering that. He's remembering how you handle your authority figure. We have to disengage from authority figures in order to sin. Do you understand that? We have to. We have to disengage in order to practice what our mind wants to do. Number three, what has been your pattern of response to what you perceive to be unfair, unthinking, or selfish in leadership? Think this through carefully. Have these responses been after the flesh or after the spirit and in the spirit? Number four, 
What would it cost you to respond after the Spirit to harsh or unreasonable authority? Are you truly willing to pay that price? Survey says, no. Christ says, I did. If you think you've been under unreasonable authority at some time in your life, walk in his shoes for a little while. When he comes back in the second coming, the scripture says this, For he will go to war with every nation. He will conquer every nation and its leaders. And he will become the King of kings and the Lord of lords above all nations. And every nation will serve him. You will see Christ's political actions the way you never saw them in his first coming. His first coming was to be abused by the authorities. The second coming is to say, now let me tell you who's really in charge. And it turns out to be a nasty, nasty war because the people are so emergent and anti-Hebrew authority that it sets off this world war that took a whole book in the Bible to describe. Number five, what will you do now? Or what will you now tell God about your submission to authority? And all you have to really do, whether you can practice it or not, is admit, okay, God, I'm not sure I even get this whole lesson, but I give it to you, I lay it at your feet, and say, show me everything you want me to know about the absoluteness of your authority. Because if a commander cannot call out his troops and walk up and down that line and inspect them and be a perfectionist and demand them to tie their shoes a little bit better or polish their boots a little bit better or get the wrinkles out of that those pockets or there's this constant thing. It somehow works in the army. It somehow works in the Marines. But it doesn't work in the church. If you had a pastor acting like that, going up and down, say, we shouldn't do that, and then you need... Boy, they'd look at that pastor like, who does he think he is? But yet on Monday, they go into the base and they do that with their soldiers. There's something wrong with us. There is. There's something happening inside the body of Christ that's not even in the world. Because it's at the basis of motivating someone to get the ministry done. All of you preachers and teachers that are listening to, you know that you're just as tired as I am of people saying they're going to help you and they end up walking away from you. Because it's too much work. Make your bed. Get your breakfast. Let's get outside and get the yard done. Why does that work in a job, but not with your pastor? So the pastor ends up alone again. See how it works? He'll burn out, don't worry. Give him time. 
and then the church will keep shrinking. Problem is, it's the strong leaders that go first. The emergent leaders seem to keep on staying. Because that's where the crowds go. Because their ears itch a little. It sounds like I'm harsh and unreasonable on that, but I believe I'm being truthful. Closing with this. For each of us to carefully consider our strongholds against leadership and being told what to do is of the highest priority in discipling others. If you disciple under the manner of grace and, and encouragement alone, the people cannot be led effectively. Encouragement, the word in the Latin there is what? Courage. To empower with courage. That's what a leader is supposed to do is to force. It's like a fire hose. Force encouragement into that believer. It's not a passive, oh, it's going to be okay. Courage is powerful. It's strong. And it, 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 it like sets off a revival inside the believer. They're strong and they're courageous now. So encouragement without management is at the root of the church of Laodicea. Plus it produces a strong self-life. Stubborn people. Now people who must be encouraged without being told what to do will wander in, wander in the wilderness and search for the next person or leader to make them feel good about their lives. I'm not even going to bore you with the statistics of church shopping. Won't even bore you. It's embarrassing. How many churches an average Christian says they've attended? It's embarrassing. For encouragement never changes a person. It only provides the support for that transformation or that life change. Those who suffer with not being able to be told what to do are functioning in a role of playing God. It's what we call Godship. Accepting the authorities that God has established is the beginning of obedience. For how can one be obedient unless they have an authority figure telling them what to do? Suggestions coming from authority breeds Godship, whereas commands or mandates produce obedience and life change. Here's our identity statement for this morning. God wants us to honor all law, mandates, and directives of our God-given authorities. As long as they do not set us against our Lord, in other words, they are not asking us to commit sins, break the law, we're to honor and do what they ask us to do. Well, that covers a lot. So you got to know the Word of God whether your leader is actually asking you to do something that's against God. Most people don't like to read their Bibles. So therefore, they have no clue how to discern the leader's leadership. See how it all fits together? So if I was the enemy, God forbid, I would attack people in not reading the word. I'd get a leader of a household so someone could walk up to them and tell them a bunch of mushy mush, and that leader has no clue whether it's biblical or not. But if you have a leader there who knows the Word of God, someone comes up and says this mucky doctrine to him, and that, that leader can look at him and go, that is not of the Lord. 
Why do you know that? Well, let me show you. What about, what about, what about? Well, since most Christians can't do that, then they're easily led astray. Defiance breeds lukewarmness. Proper response to authority connects us directly to the sovereignty of our faithful Father, the one who hands out mandates, directives, and the law to his Son in order to fulfill them. His Son inside us has to fulfill the law in you every day. So if you say, I just can't, I'm too tired, I just, you don't have to. It's Christ in you fulfilling the mandate. That's why it's an easy lifestyle. The hard part is the submission. The fact is, authority is given to us by God to protect us, whether they're strong leaders or not. Proper response to authority connects us directly to the sovereignty of the faithful father, the one who hands out these mandates, directives, and law. And I repeat to you, Jesus fulfills the law in us. How does Christ fulfill these rules of engagement? By continuing to fulfill the law in and through the indwelt believer. It didn't stop at the cross, and the cross was actually the starting place of fulfilling the law through the bride of Christ. It didn't stop at the cross. The cross was actually the starting place of fulfilling the law through the bride of Christ. God can put as many mandates on his son as he wants on the inside of you. As many as he wants. He does it through you. It's a daily fulfillment of the law through the bride of Christ. As a servant of the Lord, I will never get why Christians don't understand the simplicity of our husband's calling, I guess sin really, truly does make us stupid. So I will leave you with this thought. The one who is detached from authority to gain self-permission to sin so that Satan commanding can reestablish a pattern of old that can further drive you down and away from ministry if you think God will anoint a ministry you're involved with with that downward rebellion, then you already are emergent and deceived. God wants us reestablished back under connection of authority. The anointing comes from the authority, not from your ministry. That structure is what God uses to pour the word of God out like a waterfall. And if you have a leader who's not quite there yet, the water will flow over them. Honor it anyway. See? I mean, it's like saying to your father, you walk up to your father, go, I don't want you as my dad anymore. Gone, go, get out of here. Doesn't work that way. You have to love them, respect them, pray for them, build them up, encourage them as the son. You don't sell them off and get a new dad. Oh, wait, we do that nowadays. You're not supposed to. That's how it works. Whatever conviction you're under, there's a 90% chance you're going to walk away today, whether you're online or offline. You're going to walk away today, maybe a little bit challenged, 
Because I'm assuming that if the Holy Spirit really is here, someone's gotten challenged today. You're either going to walk away from here, and within three hours, survey show, within three to five hours, people disengage from the sermon. There's no effect on them anymore. Three to five hours is all Satan needs. 10% are going to go, oh my Lord God, what have I done? Whether I'm this much off or this much off, that make a difference. 1% will destroy you 200 miles from now. 1%. Please, I'm praying in the name of Jesus Christ that whoever is listening, that they embrace the truth that will set them free. All of us will. Me, you, everybody. God, please show us where it is you are addressing us on 1% or 10% off from understanding this principle that all authority is established by God and he who opposes these authorities opposes me. May our rebellion towards this present administration or towards our pastors or towards our community leaders May we be the ones under conviction to change our mindset through Christ Jesus to respect these unreasonable authorities, build them up, hold them in place to keep the structure to save our children. Father, we thank you for the truth that you've given us that will indeed set us free. You are the God of the universe. Jesus, you are the Son and the God of the universe. Holy Spirit, you are God's Spirit. You do live inside of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. That gives us a very special privilege of being the very bride, the wife of Christ. And the privileges and prerogatives of protection that come with that, we not only saw with the story of Job, the Father we saw, it spelled out to us throughout all the book of Revelation. May we embrace this foundational truth in the name of Jesus. And it is only in your Son's name that we pray. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.